What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Random Car Guys. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to chat uh, about cars as always, but I think today's probably going to be pretty Porsche-centric. Um, my guest today, Ferdi Nasser, has... I mean, I've seen the two cars you have. I'm sure you, you might have more, but uh, we'll dive into the car history Um but thanks so much for coming down. I really appreciate you spending the time on Saturday to share some stories about the car world. Uh, I guess current stuff that we can t- probably talk about and to start with. I mean, tell us about what you showed up in today. So uh, I brought my 86 uh, 911 Carrera 3.2. It's a great little car that I picked up, I want to say maybe four years ago. And I bought it sight unseen as a Monterey car. Um, grew its life up in California. Uh, and I just found it on an internet ad. I was looking for a, one of the MIDI sort of 84 to 89 cars. Yeah. And uh, when I saw it in the ad, it was a Porsche Monterey and it's Prussian blue. It's and in the pictures, yeah, it's an interesting color. In the pictures, it looks kind of slaty blue and it's got a sort of cashmere camel sort of leather interior. And I saw it and it had a price tag on it that I seemed really reasonable. And I was looking for an air-cooled 911 that was not too expensive, yeah. that was still all analog, and and the and you know so I just started looking, and when I saw it, I was like, wow, this looks really too good to be true. So I called the the dealership up and spoke with the salesman, and the guy was so excited about the car. Like when I called him up, I was like, hey, tell me a little bit. He's like, man, this is one of my favorite cars ever. If I was going to buy this car, it'd be this is the car I buy. <laughs> And then he told me about it. He told me it'd been a local car that they had sold it to a guy in Chicago who held onto it for a year, and then he sold it back to the dealership. So essentially, he's had three owners. I'm the third one. Uh, the car, I said, I mean, does it run? He's like, oh yeah, it runs. Mechanically, it's okay. Yeah. It's like okay. I mean, I'd, I'd love to come out and look at it. I just don't have the time to do it. Um, I, I let me think about it for a little bit. Uh, so I thought about it, and I called him back that night. And I said, I want the car. He said, I just sold it. And I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, a guy came in here, said uh, he loved the car. It's his childhood dream. And he wrote me a check. And that's it. I'm sorry. So, well, I guess if it doesn't work out, let me know. Yeah. So the week goes by. It's Sunday. And I get a phone call. And it's the sales guy. And he goes, well, weirdly enough, the guy comes to pick up the car with his wife. Wife won't let him buy it. <laughs> so I said, mine won't either, but I'm going to. <laughs> yes. So, so I said, I'll take it. And he goes, okay. And that sort of started an interesting rigmarole of paperwork. California is bizarre. So you can't, I mean, if you go to California and buy the car and pick it up, you pay California sales tax and you bring it here to pay Oklahoma sales tax. So I was like, okay, we'll arrange the shipping. They send me out the paperwork. I have the paperwork signed, ship it back. Like all happened in like 72 hours and the car was done. And then I get a phone call from like the dealer manager and he goes, Hey, I just want to make sure you know what you're getting. This is a 1986 car. This doesn't drive like a modern car. I was like, Oh, I know. I understand. I've driven these before. He's like, okay, just didn't want you to buy a car that you got and, and you got it. And then all of a sudden you're unhappy with it. So I was like, yeah, yeah. I I got this. Thank you so much for the phone call, which made, which made it very interesting. Like these guys actually care that the product ends up in in the hands of somebody who, who's not just buying the car, you know, sight unseen. So then for the next two weeks as it's shipping, I'm biting my nails because I don't know what's going to show up. Right. So I'm working, I have the car shipped to work. 
the the I, I can't get to it so I send a buddy out to, to get the car off the trailer he gets it out he doesn't know how to start it he can't drive it <laughs> so my other buddy who's a Porsche file goes out and goes I'll drive he comes in and goes man that's a sweet car yeah. uh, so so then at the end of the day I go out to look at it and it's pristine it's a driver I mean it's a you know it's got some patina on it it's not perfect right but for an 86, 30 year old car, original paint, <laughs> yeah. interior looks great. The only thing I found that was wrong, well, so the AC didn't work, which I would sure. expect for an 86. I didn't even think yeah. that the AC would work. Um, the, the sunroof had a funny thing with it where you'd pull it back and it would clunk, 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 and then it wouldn't come forward real well. And I was like, ah, sunroof motor, okay, maybe something's bad there. So, so that was it. Uh, otherwise, car worked great. Drove it around, so this thing's awesome. Um, took it home. I, it's got a zipper on the back of the headliner where the sunroof motor is. I mean, they've engineered these cars like to be worked on, right? Like so they didn't. It's, so I unzip the zipper and I look at the motor and I've got like the shop manual and I'm looking to see what what's wrong with this thing. And I feel in there and two two screws fall out. And I look up and I put them back in where I think they go. Works fine. Perfectly fixed. So easy. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I've been driving it ever since. I drive it when I can. It's a fantastic car. Mm-hmm. And it is exactly opposite of, you know, the, my other car, which is a GT3 RS mm-hmm. that is like it's plugged into your brainstem. This thing is all analog, no ABS, no digital anything, no automated spoiler on the back like a 964, no nothing that is not just you. Even the so that in 87, the cars went to the G50 mm-hmm. gearbox, which has the hydraulic clutch. Well, these are still the 915, which has uh, it's Porsche uh, synchros, which are not great. Right. A, a cable clutch that you have to adjust. It's finicky in first. You have to drive it just right or it, or it binds up and box at you. Yeah. Uh, and it is just, it's a miracle on wheels. I love that thing. And it's just as fun to drive at 35 miles an hour as the RS is at 150 on the track. It's yeah. great. That's the thing that like, me being from the UK, right, and growing up driving, you know, stick cars right. and, and, you know, kind of the ratio here compared to the ratio back home, it, it's just flips, right? There's the same amount of manuals back home as there are automatic cars here you know and so there's very I, you know you, you grow up learning driving driving a manual car and and you can take your test separately if you want to take your test and learn how to drive an automatic car but 90 percent of the people drive manuals right. and it's to that point of driving a 30 mile an hour you still have so much fun and that's the question i've had with a lot of people out here it's like especially in the porsche world it's like if you're going to go buy a gt3 or you know um, or you buy a touring or, or any porsche is it still enjoyable on Oklahoma or America roads with a manual in it? And I think the sweet spot is the classics, right? Because they still have all that character. Whereas, I mean, I haven't driven a new GT3 with a manual, but I've driven a GT3 RS. And I do find myself like, it's like the Tesla syndrome. You're just flooring it in first, right? And then you're like, (laughs) straight roads are great. But obviously that's why you take yours to the track. Right. So it's, yeah. And I grew up, so... I wasn't born here. Yeah. I was actually born in Beirut. I emigrated here when I was four. Uh, I grew up in Oklahoma. We moved to Oklahoma in, when I was five. And uh, I've grown up here ever since. Uh, my uncles came and one uncle went to college at OSU mm-hmm. and one at OU during my childhood. So they would, I remember my earliest sort of memory of cars. I mean, most people are like, 
my dad loved cars. Well, my dad wasn't a huge car guy, and he was working his his balls off to to yeah. get us, you know, through that sort of whole first few years. And so my uncles were the guys who like took me to teach me how to drive. And that was like at age seven, I was driving. One uncle had like a giant Dodge boat, uh, and the other one had a little tiny hatchback with a manual transmission. I loved driving that car, and that's the car I sort of learned how to drive on when I was, you know, couldn't drive legally. Yeah. And so, and I always had that philosophy of, you know, manuals the way to go, right? And so when I finally had enough money to to buy my first real sports car, it was 2008, and I was looking for a car, and I wanted to get an M3. At the time, they had just come out with the V8 M3, the E92, and that car just checked all the boxes for me. But they were selling almost all of them with a dual-clutch transmission because they had just come out with it. They're very proud of it but they still allowed you to buy one with the manual. And I found one locally at the dealership, black on black with a carbon roof and a manual transmission. And that was the first car that I you know, started working on to take to the track yeah. and had it set up at the track, started understanding sort of uh, the dynamics of race car driving. I'd always, when I was five, I wanted to be a race car driver, but I didn't really understand that yeah. until you know, 35 years later when- That's amazing how that, that works out, yeah. right? And the sound of those cars. Those are the last great M3 cars, right? Excellent cars, right? They go to the turbo engine, they just kill the sound. Yeah, yeah, those engines are mega. Uh, And the M5 generation, too, is incredible, right? Well, if they last. Exactly. As long as they don't grenade themselves. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Uh, So to the point of growing up then and having, like, your uncles be the car, kind of introduce you into the car world, and obviously the dream as a kid is to be a race car driver. That's kind of why it comes full circle, and you spend a ton of time at the track now. Did you, going into your profession then, coming as an immigrant like I am, coming to this country, and, and was your like profession and your education, did you think, I am going to get a job so that I can buy cars, or was it something else? Did you have that kind of early on, have that? I mean, you know, you as you go, go through life, you know, you have goals, and some of those are parallel, you know, so my, you know, my profession is a different... Thing. I've always, so those are the two things I wanted to be was a neurosurgeon and race car driver. Yeah. And at age five, I didn't understand what either of those really was, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's, it sticks with you for some reason. Uh, and so as I sort of went through that, that sort of love of things mechanical, I ended up getting an engineering degree before going to medical school. Um, I, um, and you know, the, there's, you know, medicine or surgery in particular is, you know, a lot of guys who are surgeons are also car guys. They enjoy guns. They enjoy things that are mechanical. They work with their hands. So they like to work on things themselves. And so that all sort of goes hand in hand. Uh, And so the economics fortunately follows that. Right. But I don't remember sort of consciously thinking, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a job that, yeah, that makes me afford whatever it is that I want to do. Yeah. It's it's funny, obviously, a mutual friend of ours is is Brett, who has Midtown Auto House in the same world, right? He's in the medical field and has a manual car and all that, you know. So, yeah, it does does make total sense. And obviously, another track fan as well. So, the race car thing then, well, to the race car point, like, were you watching, you know, coming out here, being that age, growing up? I mean, NASCAR's huge on TV, sure. but, but is it's it... It's always F1 for me. Always F1, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, peak F1 is coming through 90s and V12s and V10s. It's just, I miss that era. Yeah, I know. So you're always watching F1 on the weekends then? Yeah. Yeah. That was the, that was the thing I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sort of informed. And 
And I mean, it's just, it's just, uh, it's amazing. Sort of the, that early nineties F1 was sort of as, as I was graduating from high school and sort of been going on to college, et cetera. I mean, so that was an amazing time in F1. So pretty awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. So back to the M3 then. So, so you, you, like I said, that's like the car that, you know, your first, like, I'm going to buy a car, it's M3 and you start fiddling with it and then taking it to the track. Yeah. Did you have buddies that, that were like also track driving at the time or you just think now this is my getaway I'm, I'm kind of just it's my peace time I'm gonna go and so what was, what was interesting about that is that I so I bought the M3 and I was like I'm working on this thing and I wanted to take it to the track and I had really no outlet and then I met Andy Brandt who I'm, I don't know if do you know do you know Andy so Andy at the time um, uh, was a uh, was a medicine representative uh, mm-hmm. sold meds at the hospital. And he, um, his side gig was racing. Yeah. And he had an Evo that was tuned to 600 horsepower or something like that. He since sold it. Which was but a lot he, back then. Yeah, <laughs> right. a lot. And yeah. he knew how to drive it, stripped interior, and he was so good at it. But he was doing NASA sort of um, amateur racing and knew a bunch of doctors who had nice cars and nobody knew how to use them. Mm. So he was like, you know, I'm going to get a group of people together and we're going to go to the track. And so he put a Hallett day together. Yeah. I took the M3 up. First day really exposed to the track at all. And that was when I realized that when a car is a production car, it hits the ground with a lot of compromises. Yes. And so I took that thing and melted the brakes clean off of it. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was, <laughs> it's a heavy car at speed. Hallett's miserable on brakes. And it literally, the down to the backing plates, those those things melted so bad. Uh, and so then I was like, okay, I gotta work on this. Yeah. So then that was the whole sort of brake system upgrade. And then I recognized, you know, for a car with as much weight and power that that thing had, they undersized the brakes terribly. Uh-huh. You know, they were single pot uh, calipers off the five series BMW. That was the front brake system. Typical BMW, like we'll just take what we have yeah, off the shelf. Just right yeah. there and just stick it right there and then yeah. put an F1 drive motor in the front. Yeah. <laughs> like really is Because that, that's that going to make the most yeah. cost. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, they had to save costs somewhere to sell right. the car at a reasonable price. Jeez. So, uh, so then that started like, so, and, and, you know, I'd always sort of worked on my cars, oil sure. changes, that kind of stuff. That was the first time where I was like, okay, I got to really understand how this thing is put together. Really dive into the weeds yeah. of it, yeah. So then it was, you know, brake systems and fluids and optimizing and, uh, you know, yeah. alignments. And and then when I got the Porsches and so the, I went M3 to Porsche and that was, an, you know, multiple orders of magnitudes improvement, driving dynamics and, and agility. But then also the the difference in the package that comes from the factory was unbelievable. So the M3 is purported as a sports car, but the Porsche, the GT3s are, you know, they're race cars. And there's so much of that car that nobody tells you about, Mm. you know, uh, that I think not even the dealership knows about in, in as far as track setup, Right. uh, And, and sort of capability within the car not just aerodynamics, but, you know, lower wishbones are split for extra camber, comes with camber plates on it. It's got yeah. high performance braking that's, that's the beauty of Porsche is the brakes are so far outclassed the car that you're never in trouble. Right. Uh, and those cars are just unbelievable. Bulletproof, like a puppy at the track, will take a beating and keep on going. And then I drive it to work the next day. Yeah. And it's just so much fun. 
That's amazing. So back to the M. Did you drive when you went to how? Did you drive the M3 up there and then you drove it back? I drove it up there and drove it back. Oh, and I I stopped at a stoplight. I remember some old lady looking over at me like your car is broken, (laughs) screeching, (laughs) squealing so bad, so bad. Yeah, Uh, it's race car lady. You have no idea. I know. Yeah. So then I was like, okay, gotta fix this. (laughs) (laughs) Is there obviously you know you're 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 in you're a neurosurgeon right Uh so. With that, you know, and, and starting with engineering degree and going into med school to be a neurosurgeon and obviously, you know, the, the love of F1 and the engineering, it all obviously, like you said earlier, it comes together. But is have you found kind of, kind of correlations between like your mental preparation on track performances to do with like, have you studied like how you can have peak performance with brain chemistry and like all of that stuff? So no, because I do, I don't do sort of specific uh, so neurosurgery is sort of the operating on the brain and the spine. Okay. Most of my practice is spine these days. Okay. I do do brain surgery sure. from time to time, but it's pretty rare nowadays. I did a lot more when I first started. Um, sort of the brain chemistry part of it is really more uh, neuroscience and neurology. Okay. So I don't really delve into that, although that is a really hot topic because every one of my buddies comes up to me and is asking sort of, how do I get my brain to not age? You know, yeah. how do I not get old? Right. How do I keep my brain functioning? Uh, and there's, I don't think there's a really good answer there. Right. Um, there are just too many variables. And I don't think we understand it well enough. Just keep doing Sudoku's and keep moving. You've got to keep your, I mean, the people that I know who are sharp as attack are the ones who use their brains all the time. They yeah. never give up and they're constantly, they're constantly moving. Yeah. Um, so it's, but you know, that's not hundred percent protective, but I think that's key. Right. Use your tools. Yeah. And that's, I mean, to current day F1, I think I was listening to a podcast recently and they were talking about, um, you know, like Hamilton and Alonso and the guys who were getting on a bit in, in, in the F1 world, getting on a bit. I mean, they're like close to 40. But the fact, I think that the, the guy talking was like, Hamilton's made more mistakes this year than he ever has in the past. And they based it on age, you know, like him, I think it was at Singapore, right? Going into the barrier and just having a mental block or whatever. At that level, obviously, it's pretty obvious right? because yeah. they're on it, aren't they? Right. And they were comparing him and George together and saying, oh, see, George hasn't made any mistakes, but you know, he's like, what, 20 years older? Like, There's a huge gap there. Sure. Um, to be at where he's at is incredible, though. Yeah, and I think it's what's interesting about that is the difference between youth and age. I think the experience sometimes hurts you mm-hmm. because I think the younger guys in F1, they don't know what they don't know. So they yeah. go balls to the wall. There's no fear of crashing the car. Right. They don't have sort of a sense of mortality. Mm-hmm. I think as you get older in F1 and you see people get hurt, you get you you have friends who are no longer there. Mm-hmm. I think your self self preservation sense kicks in a little bit. Yeah. And maybe you don't take the same risks that you used to. I think what's interesting about this season that's the di- that I felt was very different at the beginning of the season between George and Lewis is George was a lot faster because I think he was willing to take the punishment of the porpoising and of all the problems that they had with the chassis. He, he pushed because he didn't care. He was willing to hurt himself to prove that he was a good driver. Whereas Lewis is like, you know, I got a few championships under my belt. I don't have to beat myself up anymore. Right. And I think that is where the headspace is now. Yeah, and I think that's probably why Lewis is not as performing at peak capacity. Not because he can't, because because now his experience informs 
you know, how much risk he's willing to take. Yeah. Part of me thinks that like, if he had one last year, he would have just hung it up. Oh, retired, I think right? so too. And then I did see a recent interview with Toto uh, saying that like, we met, I met with Lewis the other day and he's committed to the next five years. Yeah. You're just like, okay, so he's committed because the car needs developing because <laughs> Lewis has said multiple times he's driven the old car and it's, he shouldn't have done it because it's perfect and now he's driving the new car. He's like, what are we doing here? But yeah. uh, So back to, obviously you get rid of the M3 and then you buy a Porsche. Yeah. Which one did you get? So I bought a GT3. Okay. First 911 I bought was a GT3. 991? 991.1. Okay. Uh, it was a 2016 car. Mm-hmm. Um, which was very difficult to get because it was right after the stop sale when I was like, this is the car to have. And then they stopped selling them because of the engine engine fires. Yeah. So then I was like, man, that's terrible because I really want this car. And the reason I wanted a Porsche is because, um, back to your point where you were asking, did you have a lot of buddies when you first started this? I didn't. But by the end of it, I did. Yeah. (laughs) So I convinced a bunch of my friends uh, to get into it, a couple in particular, and one of them had a Turbo S that he was, I was like, you got to get this out to the track. So, and it was a, it was a 997. Was it a 997 that I drove first? Yeah, I think it was a 997 uh, Turbo S. Uh-huh. And we got out to the track and I got in it and we were at the old Eagles Canyon down in Decatur and we got out on the pit and the, the old pit would come out and then it would juke to the right, and then you'd come back to the left and join the join the straight. And I got in it, and just the access road, as I turned the steering wheel, I was like, oh, this is different. Very different. And so then, as, uh, as I drove it around the track, he's in the passenger seat, he's like, oh my God, <laughs> what is happening? Because <laughs> then it was like all the things that you learn in a big, heavy car, as far as weight transfer, uh, how you manage the car at speed, where you brake, where you accelerate. You get into a car with the capabilities of a 911, and all of a sudden that changes. And it just, the, the physics of the 911 suits me. I drive other cars and I don't like them. People tout mid engine car is great, front engine car is great. The physics of a rear engine car for me, for whatever reason, really just clicks mm-hmm. when I'm at speed. And that thing was unbelievable. I was like, I've got to get one, and I'm going to get a GT3. Yeah. So then I was like, to my buddy, you need a GT3. He's like, what's a GT3? <laughs> I was like, well, let His me explain. His wife probably really oh, hates you, right? <laughs> oh, he's had a few cars now. <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, it was, uh, so that was a transformative experience. I was like, gotta get one. So then started hitting up the dealership for a GT3 and it's real hard to get. And thankfully the guys came through and got me a allocation. Yeah. And it was just one of the 200 some odd 2016s that they made. Yeah. I got to spec it all, picked it up in December, drove the piss out of it from December to February because on February 4th I had a track day down at Circuit of the Americas mm-hmm. and then rolled in a trailer down there and yeah. the rest is history. It was a great car. Amazing. Uh, to the point of um, the driving side, so so when you get into it and you get hooked, do you start like how do you do? You, do you take, are you taking lessons? Are you going to are you having a mentor? Like how is it just all like reading, researching, and like learning through track time? That was pretty much it. I read a lot. I read a bunch of books. Uh, I got all the Skip Barber books. Mm-hmm. Um, started uh, just. You know, I felt like I knew a lot, but until you start, you know, when you get on the track the first time, you're like, you don't know where to put the car. Well, you have um, no idea where to, yeah, you know, no, you're just driving. Go, right? It looks like a big highway and yeah. you're like in the middle of it. And so 
as you start to learn how to apply the brakes, I mean, that's a huge thing is, you know, you don't recognize how much capacity there is in a braking system, especially yeah. for a car that's tuned for the track. And so all that, you know, that came from reading and just some personal knowledge and then experience on the track. And then Andy helped because he had a lot of track experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was good. And then just doing it. Yeah. That's, so every so you plan trips most weekends. Is it Eagles Canyon or Hallett would be the main one? So we started out at Hallett and we did Hallett like crazy. And yeah. there were a group of about 20 of us. Uh, and Andy would just plan a weekend. He'd rent the track, get all the stuff, corner workers, all the things. And we'd all just go. So we did Hallett for a while. And then we um, ended up at Eagles Canyon. And then we went to Motor Sports Ranch in Crescent. And then we've done Circuit Americas twice. And then we went to Kansas. Topeka has a phenomenal track, uh, Heartland Motorsports. And that was just unbelievable. That's just, uh, that's almost equal to Circuit Americas, but yeah. with less people on it. Because when you do Circuit Americas, you're doing it with like a big, yeah. big group. So it's not, it's fun to be on the track, but it's not right. just 20 guys it's with very expensive to rent that track. It's very expensive to rent that track by yourself. So, yeah. Topeka was fantastic, and so just going to all those different venues, you just sort of hone mm-hmm. a skill set. Yeah. And then they, Eagles Canyon got renovated a couple years back, and they were offering memberships, and so I got a membership, and so I can go down there when I want, but the problem is I just don't have a ton of time. Right. This year has been really bad. I haven't been in almost a year now. Because so of family and kids family and sports. And, tennis right? and all the things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The weekends are taken up, but uh, that's the the next step is to start getting back into it, which is yeah, which will be fun. Would you? Because I mean, they have garages down there. You probably keep they a do. car down there, right? No, no, you can't do that. You can, okay. but I don't want. But you to. wouldn't want to do that. I have a hard time buying a, like a, a very expensive car, specific race car, race car, type, car yeah. that just sits yeah. and doesn't get used except for mm. very rare times. I like the idea of having a, per, a car that if I'm going to spend a lot of money on, I want to use it. Yeah. I want to use it a lot. So the RS gets used almost yeah. as a daily driver when it's nice out. I don't like to drive it in the rain. The other day, I have, I have a third car. It's an old Range Rover. It's a 2011 Rover. It was in the shop. And I was like, well, I got to have a car. Yeah. And it was raining. And I didn't want to take the 86 in the rain. In the rain. <laughs> yeah. So RS was it. And I was like, it was a great car. It, yeah. it works as a car. I can go pick my kid up from tennis. Her bags fit in the front. I can go to work in it. And then I can take it to the track on the weekend. It is because it. that's the other thing about Porsche that's really impressive in their philosophy is it is a usable car. Right. So when, when do you upgrade then from the GT3 to the RS? So the RS came, uh, I want to say three years ago now because it's a 2019 and yeah. I bought it in July of 19 was it used or did you get spec balance used, on? no so because it is a great spec it is yeah. amazing so when I when I when I was looking when the new RS came out the dot two or the dot one dot two RS came out I spec'd one online just mm-hmm. like it and so then I was looking for allocations all the allocations were like 25 to 75 over sticker. I was yeah. like, nah, I can't do that. So I, every so often, you know, late night, whatever, I'll roll by the Porsche dealership on the way home, whatever. So I hit the Porsche dealership on a Wednesday night, look through the window, and there's this car sitting out there. Black, gold wheels, 
Lotus F1 John Player Special spec, I was like, this has got to be, this is it. This is taking me back to my F1 early days. Man, I was like, that is amazing. Where did this car come from? So I called Dave at the Porsche dealership and I said, what do you know about this car? He said, nothing. We just put it out last night. I don't know anything. I'll get the window sticker. I'll let you Classic know. Classic Dave. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, we just put it out seriously after hours last night. You're the first person to see it. Yeah. So I said, okay. So I said, so then I went and looked at the car Friday, like when they were open. And then I said, Dave, I'm going to bring my car. I want you guys to make me an offer on the GT3. So I shined it all up, got it all perfect, drove it up there. He hands me an offer. I said, done deal. And that was it. Yeah. Left with the RS. Was there anything modded to it or have you done stuff to it? So since? the car was, had a hundred miles on it. It wow. still had the stickers on it. It still had the sticker on the PCM. It still had the sticker on the running board. I think I mean, just traded it in. I guess the guy else. bought it, didn't drive it, Making stuck it in the garage and then it, sold right? it to the dealership. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and thankfully for me, it was there. Uh, so for both GT3s actually. So all I did was Take, took the, so the first GT3 roll cage um, exhaust, center exhaust bypass. And then uh, the first GT3 had uh, brakes, so, you know, track pads and an extra set of uh, steel rotors. So this GT3 came with the Porsche ceramics, which are not, which are not uh, cheap. Right. And so, if you're track driving, do you want the steel so yeah. they last longer? So I took it to the track once on the ceramics. I was like, I have to have these. Because there's a noticeable Un- difference on the track. Unbelievable reproducibility in the braking event. Okay. I mean, it just does not change. It is the same event every time. Okay. No fade, nothing. And the steel brakes are great. They're very similar. But you can tell as the as the car ages in a, in a yeah. session, the braking changes. So... I was like, I gotta have something other than the Porsche ceramics, but I need ceramics. So I got a good deal on a set of surface transforms rotors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then I got the pads that they recommended and they were terrible. So there was a guy on Renlist who tracked his car a lot. And I just messaged him, I said, what track pads do you use? He goes, this, because I knew he ran the surface transforms. Mm-hmm. He, ran the, he runs the Paget RSLs, which is like a real racing pad. Okay order those things up, it, car stops unbelievable, better than it accelerates. Mm-hmm. Braking is almost better than acceleration in that car. And so I, so rotors and track pads, I did a full exhaust bypass on it, which is just great because that car really does not need an exhaust. It has to sound right with it uncorked. Uh, the roll cage came out of the old GT3, went right into the new one. Um, that's it. I did all the work myself because that's the only way to do it because otherwise it gets real expensive. Yeah. Um, and I put in so many roll cages and GT3s between me and my friends that it's now second second nature. <laughs> like I know how to cut the carpet to get it to fit around the roll cage. Yeah. And, and now I just leave a flap so that when the roll cage comes out, you can pull the flap back and the carpet doesn't look cut. Yeah. So Because that carpet is like 3500 bucks to replace. I mean, it's like crazy. It's outrageous. Outrageous yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, um, so... It's uh, the exhaust is great to work underneath that car. Um, and so all the maintenance gets done in my garage, yeah. which is good. Do you have a lift in the garage as well? I have a quick jack because mm-hmm. the garage doesn't have enough ceiling space for a full lift. And the quick yeah. jack is just, you know, a hydraulic rail that fits on either side, lifts the car, 
couple yeah. of feet. Do you have one in the new house? Yeah. <laughs> Is that why you moved? Yeah. 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 So. Like what's on the list of the new house? Yeah. Uh, a Lift. garage with yeah. like the you taller know, ceilings. 18 foot ceilings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we can start stacking cars. Exactly. Ah, oh, brilliant. Uh, so yeah, I guess that, I mean, then, then you have, you have the RS, right? And yeah. kind of the dream spec and yeah. you just can't take you out of it. No, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And I think a lot of guys buy cars and they sell cars. I'd like, I'd like to enjoy a car for duration, you know, you mm. get to know it. If you just keep it for a short period of time, you don't really get to know a car. Yeah. And so I like to keep my cars a long time. And so um, that it, I just could not possibly think about selling it, uh, which is really painful because the new RS is coming out. And if I get allocation, I'm going to have to make some decisions about, right. <laughs> about whether or not the to sell The good thing this is one. that the price of the new one at yeah. list is probably not far off what yours is now. Exactly. Right? So you'll that's, be doing okay. So that's the beauty about the Porsches is yeah. when the new one comes out, even if it's more expensive, it just drags the old one price up with it. So you can trade in is not as hard. Yeah. yeah. How many miles does your current one have? 13,000. Oh, wow. Yeah. In three years, right? Yeah. yeah. Good going. And yeah. most of that's tracked, yeah. too, right? Which is even better. It is. Yeah. Yeah, the new one, it, um, I mean, obviously the just recent news, it's come out and done the lap. Right. Very, very ring, right? And, yeah. like, I think I watched, uh, maybe it was Chris Harris's video of it. And I watched, I think it was Henry Catchpole's video of it when a professional driver took him out around Silverstone and just like the look on his face and he's like, this isn't on the right tires and it's still like insane. And obviously the big thing with the new one is the downforce, right? It doesn't really generally have more power than the old one. It's just got wild downforce. But have you seen one in person yet? No. No? That's just... I can't wait. It's it's an unbelievable car. And I do... I still... When I bought the GT3 originally, I didn't understand Mm -hmm. that Porsche could sell this to the average driver on the street who just had money and wanted to buy a 911. Then I got the RS and I was like, how can this be much better? And it was insanely better. The RS is sort of an order of magnitude improvement over the GT3 now. Not in just raw speed, but feel, confidence... Uh, capability, the downforce is a real issue. You know, you get so much more grip, wider tires, everything about it. And now you've taken what I feel is an unbelievable package and you've doubled the downforce yeah. and put a double wishbone front suspension and replaced the front trunk with yeah. a motorsports cooler so that now you can have active air for better That's front end downforce. Just crazy. Uh, when I think about that, and then I think on the fly adjustable shocks, on the fly adjustable diff. Right. I mean, how. And who has the knowledge? It's not like it comes with an instruction manual. Right. Yeah. Like 80% of the people who are going to buy this aren't Nobody going knows. to change it. Right? Nobody like knows. You're going to have that right. 10, maybe, I mean, less, maybe more than that. Who knows? Right. But just that many people who are like, will actually read into it and track this and like fiddle with it for right. their setup, which is, you know, the thought that like someone could buy this who's like a 60 year old exec is just going to buy it to show off to his mates. Right. Right. Like, or, or I mean, and his wife could drive it is mad because right. like, anyone who who is into racing could take it on a track and beat the living shit out of it and they've and they've proved that it's it's cup car equivalent nearly just with a nice interior i mean it's insanity yeah i don't understand i don't understand how they sell that as a general as a general car for public use so do you have have you put in saying if one comes up i will buy one yeah you have that with the the guys of the force dealership yeah, that's a no-brainer, right? That's a business decision. That's a financial decision. It makes sense. It's total sense because yeah. it's unbelievable. But but also, I have a hard time. Like I said, like if I had a good financial sense about me, I would have sold 
the RS that I have now last year. year ago. Yeah. And then waited for the new one to come out, but I just can't let it go. It's too much. It's too good. Even just driving up to the store and yeah. it's just too good. Yeah. It's funny. Obviously the Facebook pages we have in Oklahoma city and I think that one came out and someone was like behind you, I think going to class <laughs> could maybe. And yeah. I think the, the comment, the post was just like, thank you for entertaining yeah. me for the last five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> they just followed you because you were yeah. driving, you know, just, I wanted to respond to them. And I don't know if they'll listen to this, but I saw them in the rearview mirror and they had their cameras out. So I was like, okay, okay. give them a little bit of Foul show. Yeah. <laughs> don't drop a couple of games. So I tried yeah. to, and they were like, oh, he's trying to get away from us. I was like, no, no yeah. you need to get to the higher revs to really hear the exhaust open up. <laughs> and they were like, oh, is this how people in Nichols Hills test their cars? <laughs> Real car guys know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. brilliant. To that point then of being around town, obviously Oklahoma City, I think, has a very underrated car community. Sure. I would love to see a, obviously we have Midtown Auto House and that's membership based and, and Brett does a great job and Jess, they do a great job of having events and, and that's there and, and we've had them you know on the podcast in the past and, and it's it's for them, right? It's not a business, it's a hobby for right. them, right? Yeah. They don't honestly have to make money from it. I think there is a home for a type of business like that to have a coffee shop, a restaurant, a storage area. I'm waiting for someone to do it because yeah. I would. I mean, I mean, I'm all in. Uh, like a, you know, you have four till four coffee place in Arizona. You have the Garage Collective in California. I mean, all these amazing places. Right. We, I think, we could really benefit from something like that because you take everyone, the thousands of people that show up to coffee and cars, and you give them a home. Right. Right. Hundred percent. Like, the community is great, and yeah. not just the Porsche community. Right. It's everybody. Everybody. It's, so cool to see I, that and that's the fascinating thing is you go out to cars and coffee and it's like really this is sitting in somebody's garage mm-hmm. it's unbelievable and it's everything everything from from military vehicles to full on race cars to the most modern supercar you can imagine I mean just right around the corner and it's I don't know I mean it's really unbelievable mm-hmm. and I, I really love the fact that there's so many you know so many people in Oklahoma who actually still love their cars yeah uh, and are willing to share them. And that's the thing about most most of us who like these cars is that we don't just love to hoard them for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We love to share them and let people sit in them and take people for drives and let people drive them and do all the things to give them the experience. Because, uh, you know, especially for me, that experience is something that I love to share. And I think everybody should experience it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, have you been on any, like, do you, do road trip probably not with the GT3RS but um, I mean talk about Brent again he just did GT Smokies right. right and that's something they love to do do you right. do try and do that as well if you I have, the time? have not done that just because I haven't had the time okay. Brett's got a actually this upcoming weekend Brett's got a trip out to Arkansas mm-hmm. with a few guys and so I'm going to do that I'm going to take the RS nice. and take it out there get some patina on it yeah Let's get some bugs, right? Some Kill bugs some bugs and get some pictures, and I think that'll be a great time. Do you do you see yourself kind of when the kids get older? Think I would love to do that more and oh, get yeah. out and, and for sure. not necessarily do like the gumball rally, but you know, go out and ship the car somewhere, drive it for an extended period of time, ship it back. I would just thing. love to drive it, yeah, to a destination. I think that, um, and I, I think I would love to have more older cars that I do that with. Mm. Um, not just necessarily the RS, but something else that's that's uh, even more vintage and more enjoyable to, to take a big long trip on. Yeah. Other than the new RS, do you have anything have your eyes on at the moment? I don't. You know, I for whatever reason the Porsches have always sort of done it for me, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I've I've driven I've driven a Ferrari, and I was in it 
was so hyped, and when I got in it, I was disappointed. Which one was that? An F12. Oh, okay. And I thought, this is going to be great. And I drove it, and I was like, this isn't that great. You it's know? like that scene in the movie Rush. It's yeah. like, it's a shitbox. You right. can't say that. It is. I just was uh, like, so expected a different car. And I, think, yeah. and I think maybe it's a car designed for a different clientele. And I just like a car that's raw and angry mm. and responsive and just like right, just right there. Yeah. And it wasn't it. Uh, and I think the only other car that I think would be that way would be one of the racing McLarens. Mm-hmm. I, I really like the direction McLaren went right when they introduced the P1 on. I think that that, that idea that the, that, the, that the car is really a race car for the street, you know? Yeah. It's the, they've got their series of comfort sort of tours, which are very capable vehicles. Mm-hmm. But then they've got their series of super angry, their LT cars. Yeah. Just and they look amazing. They look amazing. They, they're different than anything you've ever seen. The aero is unbelievable. The engineering underneath that is yeah. unbelievable. Um, the the fact that it's a carbon tub and the seats just are just are nothing but just a shell that holds you. Yeah. That the car is really an engine, a seat, and a lot of technology. Uh, I think I love that about their yeah. ethos. And so that's probably the only other car that I would probably get, but they're just very expensive. Everything's gone up at the I moment, know. right? It's yeah. mad. Yeah. Like I did see, um, I mean, some of the car guys in town, like even like the Lamborghini SVJs are almost a million bucks. Yeah, like, right. What? Yeah, like, it's exactly. Nuts. I mean, yeah. there's millions of them everywhere too. Right. Like, so I, I don't keep up with iteration. You right. know, is the next one uh, and Lamborghini are very good at just making three cars or four cars right yeah, like, yeah three cars um, but yeah it's that's the beauty of showing up to coffee and cars once once a month is seeing everyone's pride and joy or their new toy or Reza showing up in his P1 yeah. and Andy I think has just bought a Bugatti Veyron oh if you gosh. haven't seen that yet <laughs> I, I think he I think he bought Manny Koshman's one yeah. of Manny Koshman's Bugatti Veyrons which will be on show with next you know sure. next Saturday or whenever it is which is which is crazy crazy that yeah. we have that right uh, finishing up then uh, it sounds like you know like money no object you'd probably go down the McLaren P1 route uh, I might I mean I don't know you know I'm sort of I still feel like there's you you have to have a value proposition with what you get and I, I'd sort of very much in that Venn diagram of you know performance yeah. you know I style know. And cost, and that has you have to find that that sweet spot. And right now, I cannot see a car that's that that uh, that does that better than an RS, a Porsche RS car. Yeah. Now the problem is, is the price of that car is becoming more and more and more approximate to mm-hmm. the price of uh, a very nice sort of used McLaren LT car. Yeah. And so, yeah, maybe if a 765 LT makes its way, that would be a great car to, yeah. to, to have and, and race at the track. Then again, you know, never say never. I may end up with just a true race car at some point just because. Have you driven one yet? No, I've never no. driven a cup car. It would be a good thing, right? It would be <laughs> a really fun thing to <laughs> like have. Next level, you come yeah. on, you're like, sorry, hon. Yeah, <laughs> I know. What do you mean, it's, sorry? Yeah. <laughs> I just got to drop ship this to Texas and <laughs> yeah. it's not going to be cheap. And the team that comes yeah, with exactly. it. Right? And that's the other thing is it's hard to, it's hard to maintain that car without right. having a support staff. Yeah. And right now, for me, it's still an intimate hobby. Right. I, I enjoy that time 
mechanically with the car. I uh, I grew up you know in the in Wales, right? So rallying WRC yeah. is huge in yeah. the UK, and that for me was like wow, like you know standing in a forest, right, with your bobble hat on, just like watching somebody go by sideways <laughs> through the trees at 150 mile an hour. And Colin McRae, Richard Burns, that was kind of me growing up. That was right. my first introduction to cars. So I saw a video of a guy in the UK who bought one of Ken Block's old rally cars it was uh-huh. like his fiesta gym car oh car. wow yeah incredible investment for sure, sure. And, and and he's doing a video and he's like it doesn't come with an instruction manual i don't have like i don't have contact with the race team i don't know if i can start this <laughs> and the video is like 30 minutes long and he's just like <laughs> i just googling stuff and he finally starts it up and he's like trying to explain that how hard this car is you can't just drive it you know like and he was a bit of a race driver race driver as well and he's like right. I just wanted to make this video so you guys have, would have context. Like, if you buy a race car, it isn't just turn on. And I think there's another great clip of, I think Lee Keen bought like an old Pro Drive Subaru. And he tells a funny story of like, they'd sent him like a, just a, a, a paper full of notes. And he's gone to the airport, picked this car up. And the guys at the airport are like waiting for him to move out of the way. And he's like, he's like kind of under pressure they're rushing him and he's like guys like I have a checklist I need to make sure I follow this you need to give me some space <laughs> he's like he finally puts it in first and like rolls it off the jack and gets it out of the airport and you know, gets it from airside onto civilian side yeah. but that's the thing about race cars right like it's, yeah. it's not just you know it's click not and, you know, click and collect and off you go exactly <laughs> oh, brilliant so finishing up then last few things uh, some funny questions favorite car movie Boy, favorite car movie. That's a tough one. I'm going to have to say um, Steve McQueen's The Lawns. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just there's very few scenes where he actually says anything, but when he says it, it means a lot. Yeah. And just the cinematography is fantastic, and it's very Porsche-centric. So Definitely. Uh, do you have a favorite driving music? Or any favorite driving songs? Uh, I don't. You don't I don't strike me as the, the person that listens I, to music. You know what I hate about the about the nine elevens is the PCM is always on. Yeah, I turn it off and keep it off. I like push it and hold it until it shuts off, so it never comes on when I start the car. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a blank screen. Like everybody's like, "Oh, the Apple Play is great." It's like I've never seen it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Except for when my daughter drives in the car with me, yeah. she turns it on and Bluetooth Taylor Swift to it. So that's. <laughs> That's the only driving music <laughs> right now that goes in the car. That's probably the very few times Taylor Swift and uh, 9,000 RPMs has been oh, yeah, together exactly. in the same scene. Exactly. Right? Uh, to that point, then, how many speeding tickets do you have? Um, I only get speeding tickets driving a Volvo XC90, which I hate. <laughs> Which is the which is the tennis tournament trip car, yeah. and I've gotten three tickets in that. Okay, and I have I don't I don't remember ever getting a ticket in the Porsche yet. So, yeah, that's what you get. I get pulled over now, and I get yelled at a lot, but they usually yeah. let me go. <laughs> like, oh, you again? <laughs> I, I had one guy who's the coolest guy. I was going to pick up my daughter from tennis, and I was. Going under the bridge at Wilshire and Broadway to turn left. And I was like, I can't. And it was free and clear. And I was like, you can't give up an under bridge, high RPM run. So I rip it under the bridge, downshift, 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 turn left onto the access road and just rip it up the access road. I'm like, oh, glorious. And as I get to the top, I see lights all the way back at the lights. And I'm like, oh, God. So I just slow down and I get off right off on the next exit and just pull over. Mm. And I wait for the cop to pull up behind me. And, you know, I'm like, 
few minutes later, a cop pulls up behind me, gets out, like, you know, that was stupid, blah, blah, blah. And then he looks at me and goes, he goes, you know, you and I both know. He was like, you know why I pulled you over? I was like, yeah, I think I was speeding. <laughs> he goes, he goes, you know what? You told me the truth, which nobody ever does. And you and I both know you could have gotten away from me. So I'm gonna give you a warning this time. <laughs> Don't do that again. <laughs> I was like, okay. He's like, thanks for pulling over. <laughs> Uh, so. Do they ever like? So, what do you do for a living? You're like, I'm yeah. a neurosurgeon. Yeah. <laughs> like, I got pulled over in scrubs once, and <laughs> the guy's like, "You know better than that. You're a doctor. You know these people. You 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 know what happens if you're yeah. driving crazy." And then, what I want to say is, "Hop in, buddy. Let's Please just go me. for a run, and I, let me show you the capabilities." I mean, I know you think it's crazy, but really, yeah. It's not that crazy. If I was on a bike, you could yell at me as long yeah, as you wanted. Yeah, but to, it's right? it's like, really yeah. the car is so capable, and if you know how to use that capability, it's not actually dangerous to drive it quickly. It's right. it's actually more dangerous to drive slowly in traffic because people don't know how to drive. Yeah, yeah, so, and you're like, and the stopping power of this thing yeah. is fantastic. Oh, so like, I mean, I'd love to test yeah, and show you how yeah, to get yeah. the brakes. Come on, hop in. Let's go for a ride. <laughs> I'll let you drive. Uh, all right, last question. If you know you get that crisp morning or that evening drive, where you know where are you going? What's your favorite? Just just to hop in. Where are you going? If you have I don't know thirty minutes to rip around. I I do a loop all the way around the city. I like driving through downtown. Mm. That's one of my favorite things to do. Is drive through downtown, then I'll hit the highways sort of all the way around the city, and then come home. Yeah. I'll take thirty minutes just to go find as many bridges as I can. And then just rip it under the bridges with the windows down. It doesn't matter what the temperature is. Brilliant. Yeah. What a way to finish. Yeah. Uh, Fatty, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. I sure. uh, can't wait to see, I mean, the new RS whenever it comes. Never yeah. say never. So excited to see it. And for people listening, I will put the link to your Instagram and our Instagram description. And we'll catch you next episode. Cheers. Awesome.